This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, welcome into the Stinky Truth Podcast alongside my uh, partner, Mike Evans. I am Mark Schlereth. Man, how are you, buddy? I'm great. I'm great. This is an exciting week in the NFL. It's franchise tag deadline week and we've seen some players tagged how do you feel about the franchise tag what the player in you and now yeah. the the fan and media type in you um listen it doesn't it really doesn't but i know a lot of guys look at the franchise tag as some you know the, the ultimate slap in the face right but um it is something that was negotiated it is something that the owners are not going to give up it is something that pays you just huge money, but it it lacks, you know, that long-term security that you want as a player, right? And you want to be loved like in any, like any profession. We, we all want to be loved. We all want to be, you know, wooed, if you will. We all want to be given a lot of money and all those kind of things. But, you know, if you can play it to your benefit, like quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins played on that franchise tag several years in a row in Washington until he parlayed it to an $84 million fully guaranteed contract. So... I think you can use it to your benefit. Here in Denver, Justin Simmons did it on back-to-back years and then parlayed that into a big-time, long-term contract. But I think for the most part, guys don't like it, and they look at it like it's a big slap in the face. Yeah, but they sh- they shouldn't because, first of all, it is something the players agreed to in the collective bargaining agreement. I love it as a fan. The football fan in me loves it because it is a weapon, and a weapon, y- you-, you should use it. And to me, the best thing about it is that it buys you time as an organization, it buys you time to try to work out that long-term deal and smooth over whatever feelings that may exist between the organization and the, and the player. Uh, yeah, it, but you don't, but, but as a player, you never look at it like that because if you French, if you slap a franchise tag on me, what you're really trying to do is not pay me market value. You're trying to get a, you're trying to get a hometown okay, discount. Okay. But can right. I tell you something? Yeah. As a fan, I really don't care about the feelings of you guys. No, I, I really, I, I really I don't. Under, I understand. I care about what's best for my team. Right. I understand that, and that's exactly how the team looks at right. it. So, this is where you have to, as a a player, have wise counsel. You have to sit there and say, okay, at some point, if they come to me a year early, you know, or they come to me at the very beginning of a football season where we haven't like training camp, that. How much of a discount do I do I give them to get that fully, you know, the full guarantee? If I get a four-year, five-year contract, but that money up front that I'm going to get that's guaranteed, that large, that thirty, forty, fifty, sixty million dollars up front, like what is that security worth to me and to my family? Because the thing I know about the National Football League, it's not if you get injured, it's when. There is a hundred percent certainty you will get injured just going to happen now some of them are career threatening some of them are are season threatening some of them are just you know bothersome but you're going to be injured so you have to start being able to weigh that out and what happens to you is you know frankly it's an admission by the franchise if we don't if we let you get to the point where you're a free agent and we have to slap 
a franchise tag on you. One, what does it say? We didn't believe in you. We didn't think that you were going to amount to, to what you've amounted to, right? So it admits as a, as a franchise, as a management, we were wrong. We were wrong about you, okay? You proved us wrong. So we didn't come to you early. So that's the first thing it tells you. And then it says, hey, man, we love you, but we love you at our price, right? And so, I mean, that's what Lamar Jackson's going through. That's what all these people that are going to get franchised, Tony Pollard's going to go through in Dallas, some of the other guys that are getting franchised right now. That's basically what they're saying. Like, hey, we missed on you. We should have done right by you, but again, we're not going to pay you market value. But can I can I kind of debunk one of the myths that are out there about the franchise tag that, oh, man, if you put the franchise tag on a player, he's going to be unhappy, and he's going to be a malcontent, and it's just not worth the trouble. I, I, don't, I don't buy that at all because these NFL players, they have a very limited earning window, and you really think they're going to sit out? Like we were talking about Draymond Jones here, here in Denver. Uh, you, you really think he's going to sit out? And not get paid $20 million for one year? Of course not. And you think he's going to go through and loaf and all that kind of stuff and be right. unhappy? He's got he's to play for that next contract. He's got to play for the year right. after the franchise tag year. So th- the, the idea that these guys are going to sulk and pout and aren't going to be motivated, I don't buy it. I don't buy that either. But I will say this, and, and this comes down to team chemistry and team wins and stuff. Um. Do you become an independent contractor? And so you can show up every day and you can practice your ass off and you can play your ass off and you can be productive. And you know what? You can do that for yourself. And then there are times when you're asked to take on a double team and hold off a double team or hold off an offensive player so they can't get to the linebacker. And you're like, forget that. I ain't taking on that double team. That doesn't show on your stats, and it doesn't necessarily show that you're you're loafing. It doesn't it doesn't show up anywhere necessarily on film, except for the team that's asking you to do it. Because you know what, like the majority of people who evaluate game tape out there, or the fans that watch it, or they don't know what what that particular play, what what the nuance of that play is, and what they're asking you to do. So you can still play really hard. And you can perform, and you can go to Pro Bowls, and you can be all pro, and yet you still cannot be, you cannot be, you can still not be the reason, like, that you're winning, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can still be a deterrent mm-hmm. to winning in, in to some degree. Even though you're playing hard and... You're making right. you're making some business decisions along the way, right? Yeah, you, you're you're still you're still gonna grade out well. You're still gonna do things. You know, you're still gonna do things for yourself, but not necessarily the team. And and that comes down like when you become and I always talk about this with the NFL when you decide as a group that you're gonna be a bunch of individual contractors, right? Independent contractors. What ends up happening is you don't play together. You don't play for the good of of everyone. And there are guys on every single play that are asked to be the sacrificial lambs. It's kind of like a a receiver that knows the ball's not coming to him and runs a half-assed route. You know, lollygags it across. the and, And so then all of a sudden, when that happens to you, you know what happens in spacing? 
you don't create spacing. So what happens to the defense? All of a sudden, the underneath coverage gets to cheat. Instead of being held at eight yards, they get a drift to 12 because you're not, you're not running a legit route. And when they drift to 12, you know what happens? All of a sudden, a tip ball that shouldn't be tipped gets tipped, and it's a pick, and everybody says the quarterback sucks, and it's really the guy running an underneath route that sucks that didn't do his job because why? He's an independent contractor, and the ball's not coming. To, I know the ball's not coming to me. I'm just the guy that's running the underneath the underneath route that's going to that's gonna hold coverage. Well, I'm going to do it half-assed, and the coverage is going to cheat. See, those are the those are the that's the complementary nature of football, and if you don't get guys sold out, guess what ends up happening? Like I said, your quarterback throws a pick that shouldn't be thrown, and it's not his fault, but he's got to wear that damn thing, and then he looks at you like, really, dude, that's the effort you gave me on this play, and that's what causes that. That's the difference between championship football teams and teams that have a ton of talent that are always eight and eight. Well, we did see, though, a couple more examples that not too much gets held against quarterbacks because they still find a way to get paid. Derek Carr, Geno Smith. Yeah. So let's start with Derek Carr. He goes to the Saints, four-year deal, about $100 million guaranteed. He goes from being the third-best quarterback in his division to probably being the the best quarterback in his division. In the AFC, or he goes from the fourth best in the AFC West, maybe, you know, depending on how you feel about, he he was probably better than, not probably, he was better than Russell Wilson this year. A lot of quarterbacks were better than Russell Wilson. Yeah, okay, so, but theoretically, I I get that. And then, I mean, Tom Brady retired, right? Who's going to be the quarterback in Carolina? Is it Sam Darn? Who's, like, legit, who's going to be the quarterback? I don't know. Um so there's Tampa, and there's Tampa and Carolina, and then Atlanta is Desmond is Desmond Ritter going to be your guy? I like, yeah, you you automatically become the number one quarterback in the NFC South, which is great for the Saints. Although, if you put up Andy Dalton's numbers last year and Derek Carr's numbers last year, Andy Dalton obviously playing for the Saints, Derek Carr playing for the Vegas Raiders, I think Andy Dalton's numbers are probably better or or right. I mean, they're like they're pretty much neck and neck numbers wise are they similar quarterbacks is there that much of a difference did the saints overpay i think i think legitimately that Derek carr is a better quarterback i think legit like and he's got a, a bigger upside um so i don't think there's any i don't think there's any question about that but you look at the saints and where they are kind of salary cap wise right now it really lends you to 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 question Okay, what can you keep around Derek Carr? He signs a $150 million deal, right? Like you said, close to $100 million guaranteed. I think it's 70-some-odd million or whatever it is guaranteed. Um, but now you got to make decisions. This is, by the way, a Saints team that was $17 million over the cap right. before they even made this deal. Yeah, now you gotta make the, you got to make decisions on like guys like Ramchek, guys like Andres Pete. You know, there's guys like uh, Marcus Lattimore. There is a bunch of guys that you're going to have to make. Alvin Kamara? Alvin Kamara. That you're going to have to make decisions. Are they going to be a part of our football team? Michael Thomas. Is Michael Thomas ever going to be healthy? Is he a guy that you can rely on? Is he a guy that you can count on? Like, there are a lot of question marks with the Saints right now in regards to how they're going to manage their football team. And, you know, I look at a team like the Denver Broncos right now. Like, who knows those players better than Mm -hmm. Sean Payton? Mm Mm-hmm. 
And the, the Broncos are one of those teams that have a lot of cap space so that they can manage their cap better. So all of a sudden, are there a few of those Saints players that you covet that you go, hey, man, we can instantly, like, let's face it, here in Denver, if, you, if you're if you a fan of the Broncos or if you followed the Broncos, or if, if you haven't, I'll, I'll just tell you, they've been trying to solve a conundrum at right tackle for how many years? A, a decade? Seriously, a decade? Ryan Ramchek? Are you kidding me? If you go get him, play right tackle for you, instantly solidify that position. Who knows him better than Sean Payton? Right. Nobody. So, by the way, the old line coach played with the Saints. Has been the assistant old line coach with the Saints. Zach Streif. Who knows Ryan Ramchick better than Zach Streif? Nobody. Like, there's going to be some. There's going to be some wheeling and dealing with the Saints players because of the signing of of Derek Carr. Have you? seen in all the years you've been around the NFL have you seen a journey quite like Geno Smith's no I mean you think about it, like I, I got this timeline let me just pull it up really quick because it's my boy Trey Wingo um who did this who did this timeline on his Twitter feed and of course I've, I've lost it right yeah this happens folks yeah you just uh, mark gotta, with you his gotta, phone yeah you gotta bear with me okay here it is the Geno Smith career arc comes from my buddy Trey Wingo okay Plays words with friends as the last guy left in the draft room in New York City. Two-year starter and a teammate breaks his jaw with a punch. Remember that? Yep. Backup journeyman for sixth season. Then balls out in 2022 and earns a three-year, $102 million deal, 52 in year one. (laughs) You want to talk about a dude that was left for dead. Yeah. It's like the old Monty Python. Bring out your dead. <laughs> Bring out your dead. It's a flesh wound. Yeah. He's not dead. I'm not dead. <laughs> He'll be dead any minute. Right? I mean, what what a what an incredible. And then to sit there and watch what he did last year, the way he threw the ball, the way he commanded the huddle, the way he handled himself. Uh, I, I got to do several Seattle games. I got to meet with Gino several times, man. What a pleasure it was. And flat out told me, man, I want to be a coach one day. Like, this journey has prepared me to coach. Now, now that he's got a $102 million contract, right, and 52 guaranteed in the first year, uh, he's not going to have to coach when he's done. But what an incredible journey for Geno Smith. It's, it, it's just a... It's just a lesson in perseverance and hanging in there. So, for all the, the 12 fans out there, all the Seahawks fans out there, so is this a signal that Pete Carroll believes that Geno Smith is his quarterback of the future? Or is this, hey, we we like him for now, but we're not absolutely convinced? They've got a couple of first-round picks. They have the Broncos pick in the Russell Wilson deal. High up. Do they still take a quarterback to groom? That's a great question. No rush? They could play behind Geno for a few years? I think that, I think ultimately, we've gone, you know, we've gone full circle in the way we used to draft quarterbacks. You drafted a quarterback. He sat for a year or two. He learned, you know, the pro style system, and then he got his opportunity to come in. And now we just draft them, throw them in there. If they don't, if they fail because of the rookie wage scale that we created, we just kick them to the curb and start with the next guy. And um, but what a what an incredible opportunity to potentially draft a guy and not have to have him play right away. Like that's a 
Like, what a great learning curve. And then to learn it from a guy like Gino, who has kind of gone through the ebbs and flows and, you know, and, and had his struggles and really understands the game. Like, what that would be a, a, a remarkable. Because you've got those extra first-round picks, so why not take a flyer? But you know Pete Carroll pretty well. You've done a lot of Seattle games over the years. This is just me from afar. But I would think that Pete Carroll looks at the quarterback position. Hey, I discovered... Russell Wilson. Sure. I, uh, you know, turned Geno Smith into the quarterback that we just paid for. Mm-hmm. I don't need to invest a high, high draft pick in a quarterback. I'm smarter than other people when right. it comes to quarterbacks. I'd rather use those high picks on a real football player. Yeah. I, well, I, I think that Pete Carroll probably used the high picks on defensive players. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that, that Pete Carroll looks at, and you know, we had this conversation before, Pete and I did, about you know, getting back to what he said, this is back to your day, you know, the dinosaur day. This is back to 90s football. Be like, run the ball, you know, control the clock, control it. That's what Pete Carroll wants to do. So, you know, I could see him investing defensively because that's what his background is and saying – this is how we're going to run our offense. You know, we're going to grind it out. We're going to run the ball. We're going to set up our play action. We're going to do those things. And then we're going to rely on winning close games defensively, creating turnovers and, and getting a short field and, you know, kicking field goals and scoring on short field touchdowns and those type of things. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely believe that they, Pete Carroll believes in that style of football. And he wants to build a football team that's got that kind of mental toughness and that kind of approach to the game. I, I know that people have been looking to try to predict the demise of the Kansas City Chiefs for f- some years now. Yeah. And we thought, well, they lost Tyreek Hill. Okay, here it comes. And, well, we all f- see how that played mm-hmm. out. Orlando Brown, mm-hmm. not going to resign. Frank Clark, Released. Are we seeing some le- legitimate pieces falling off here for the Chiefs, the kind that could bring them back to the pack? As much as I would like to say yes, no. I just think I think they've done I think they've done what really good teams do. Like here's what bad here's what bad teams do. You, you see this all the time. So bad teams have a position of strength. They've got one group that's really, like, really a position of strength. And you know what they do? In the subsequent years, they neglect drafting and developing that position. And then all of a sudden, guys leave for free agency, guys get injured, guys retire, and all of a sudden that position of strength becomes a true position of weakness. And you're like, oh, shoot, what are we going to do? I think the good teams build themselves and understand the importance of those positions. I think the Kansas City Chiefs have been grooming some young I know they've been grooming some young guys that they love. They love that they think are ready to play. And that's why you can say to Orlando Brown, hey man, you were essential in us winning another championship. You were essential in our run the last couple of years when we got you from Baltimore. But guess what? Good on you. Go out and make big money somewhere else. You're not making it here. And I just believe that that's how they run their organization, very much like what the Philadelphia Eagles have done. You like you look at the the most dominant offensive line in football, Philadelphia. A couple of years ago, they drafted a kid in the first round named Andre Dillard, who has he's he's been a spot player at both tackle and guard when somebody else is hurt. 
but he's a first-rounder that's never really played. Last year, they've got one of the best centers in football, long in the tooth, in Jason Kelsey. They go out and get Cam Jurgens from, I think, uh, Nebraska. And I'm watching him play in the preseason, the kick and flat-out play. Like, they have, they have done a really good job of filling those gaps and grooming players to take over in those positions. And I think the Kansas City Chiefs are as well-run as anybody in football when it comes to, you know, understanding what they want at each position, grooming those guys to play. I think they do a phenomenal job. So as much as I would love, <laughs> as much as I would love for the Kansas City Chiefs to fall on hard times, I think, one, their quarterback is going to keep them afloat. Two, I think their management under Andy Reid and everybody else over there, I think they're smart enough to really understand, you know, what's important, how to groom young players to become players. So what you're saying is any possible reports of uh, their imminent demise, premature. Yeah. yeah. Ah. How many times have they won? They've beaten the Broncos, what, 15 straight times? Yeah. 15 straight yes. wins. Yes, yes. It's bad here, people. It's very bad. It is terrible. It's terrible here. Right. It's terrible How here. many years is that? You play twice a year, yes. right? Okay, here we go, folks. Watch Mark show off his math skills. He's very proud of his maths. Twice a year. Yeah. Seven years, seven. right? It's 14. Yeah. Seven plus. Seven plus one. 15. 14 plus one is 15. Look Ooh. at this guy. This guy. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> High five. Tell me that general studies degree <laughs> from the University of Idaho is not paying no, off. It's uh, they are Boom. proud. Of, they're proud of you right now. Oh, yeah. in uh, in Boise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't even don't even start. They hate me in Boise. They hate you in and Boise. I love that they hate me Where in are Boise. You, are you uh, Moscow? Moscow. We're not in Russia. No, it's Moscow. Oh, Moscow. Okay, yeah, my my apologies. Yeah. Moscow, Idaho. I I know they're very particular about that. Uh, so we're talking about. Franchise tag, mm-hmm. we're talking about guys that are uh, now out there in free agency. What about trades? How about the uh, juicy rumor that Derrick Henry and his one year remaining on his salary at just $10 million, very, very team-friendly, could be on the block? Yeah, I mean, like, what are you, like, you going to transition to? I mean, Tennessee Titans are a big, strong, physical, downhill football team, right? And Derrick Henry has taken all the pressure off the quarterback there. And, and like, what do you transition into if you don't have that dude? Maybe they realize they're just bumping into a ceiling with this style. And they got to break it down and go in a different direction. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? Then are you going to redraft quarterback position? Like, you, you're going to kick the can down the road and start over again. You're going to feel this rebuild. way is a ceiling that you're just not going to burst through. Then maybe that's the way you do it. Well, break it all down. I like, all right. So they're one team that has been able to, over the course of time, at least play Kansas city close in the AFC. That style of football has been at least able to keep the games close. So, now I understand the shelf life of a running back. If you're looking mm-hmm. at Derrick Henry and the and the physical pounding, like he de- he's more delivering the physical pounding than mm-hmm. taking the physical pounding. But what he did at Alabama, and then of yep. course what he's done in Tennessee, and you start to look at the shelf life of a guy like that, you start to think to yourself, we're probably nearing you know the end of the tire on the tread. Is this the classic and and Vrabel all those years spent with with yep. Belichick? Is this a classic case? Belichick always felt. 
move on from a player. It's better to move on from a player a year early than a year late. Yeah, is but this I, a classic like, case of that? Like this does not. This is a. This to me is a, a different. There's a different player involved here. Like it's not. It's not. Hey, we're moving on from a DB. One of four. You know, we're moving on from a. You know, a, a defensive lineman. Like this is how you've built your entire offense. This is the way you built it. And so to move off that player, you have to ask yourself, do we have a quarterback in place? Do we, can we transition? Can we pivot and go in a different direction? And my answer, um, like my answer would be based on, I, I did a Tennessee game this year. No, you don't have, you don't have the offense to pivot. By the way, I mean, and, and maybe you're looking at it, Roger Saffold, who is one of the most dominant guards in football. He's a free agent, and he's 34, 35 years old. I mean, how much longer is he going to play? They already released Tyler Lewan. Like, maybe they are going, hey, this is a rebuilding year, and we're going to start compiling, you know, compiling draft picks, and and we're going to change the outlook of our franchise. And maybe, that, maybe they're just – this is an admission that, hey, man, uh, we're no longer in competition to win this division – like we're changing, this is kind of a, a they they fired their GM last year. This is a whole change of the guard in Tennessee. Now, one last story I want to bring up. Mm-hmm. I want to prepare you, okay? I don't want you yeah. to get too excited. Okay. I don't know if you have a seatbelt down there. You might mm-hmm. want to strap in or something okay. like that, okay? okay. Uh, there's there's smoke, and, you know, some may say when there's smoke, there's fire. This might just be more like a little, you know, ember, you know, mm-hmm. that's just hasn't really caught yet, right? There's still some belief out there that Tom Brady's not done. <sighs> there's still mm-hmm. some people out there in the NFL world that believe Tom Brady is not done. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> I knew that'd be your reaction. Yeah. I hope he plays. I hope he plays. Really? Sure. Why wouldn't I? It didn't end well in Tampa. Do you really want to, do we want to see our greats kind of stumbling around at the end? Do we want to see Michael Jordan hoisting up jumpers for the Washington Wizards? What, what, what didn't, like, what didn't end well? Tom Brady played well. Did he? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Of course he did. I mean, yeah, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did not play well. Of course, they had, you know, essentially almost five new starters on their offensive line. They couldn't block people. They couldn't run the ball. They they had injuries at the wide receiver position. Yeah, like, like offensively, they did not produce like they produced in the past. Still made it to the playoffs, albeit with a, what was their record, 9-8? and eight? Eight nine. Eight nine? They went to the playoffs with an eight nine record. Are you sure? Come on. Look at those chubby little fingers going to work. <laughs> Stop it. We're on TV. I don't want to <laughs> Are you nervous about your chubby fingers? Well, I mean you're I kinda, like the way you go through this. I, you're I'm, you're kinda calling me out here. I mean, in a way that's uh just to confirm, Tampa was yeah, eight nine. Eight nine. Yeah, not not stellar, huh? Boy, how bad was the NFC South? <laughs> right? That's why Derek Carr's looking at going, yeah. here we go. Dude, but could you imagine if Tom Brady just slides in 
as Brock Purdy is rehabbing as the elbow yeah, Mark, in that'd San be Francisco. Two straight off seasons, he said he retired, and in this time he said, "I know last year right. I left some, but this time I mean it." Now he's going down the the Brett Favre road, and then he becomes becomes kind of a joke. Although he could take twelve angels, his new yacht, seventy-seven foot yacht. <laughs> And sail it from the Florida Keys <laughs> all the way up. Up to where? San Francisco. <laughs> that's a long it's a long trip. That's a long journey. He could dock it at Alcatraz. <laughs> Tom Brady living on Alcatraz, floating in. Yeah, you're right. That'd be great. Brady, come on back. Yeah, it'd be, it would be yeah, great. It would be it great. Would be great. I'd get whatever awkwardness, we'd get over it fast, right? I, I would definitely. I know you would. I definitely would forgive you. Yeah, right yeah, yes, bat. you would. All right, man. Uh, that pretty much does it, right? It does. Okay. Um, that's it for the Stinky Truth Podcast. We appreciate you guys listening and watching. Uh, make sure you like us, subscribe, share it with a friend. And uh, for Mike, I'm Mark. We appreciate you, and we'll be back with you later on in the week.